Welcome to a Signature Dish. I am Francesca Orsini. And I am Hilary Boone. Today, we're going to do something a little different. I am going to ask Hilary about her signature dish. I'm a host of Signature Dish, usually. <laughs> you are. And we started this whole adventure by um, acknowledging talking. that we don't have any friends. <laughs> That are available today, and by you interviewing me about my journeys in the kitchen. And so now the tables have turned, and I would like to know about your journeys in the kitchen. And I would like to start dinners at your house when you were a kid. What was your favorite thing that your mom made? My favorite meal has always been spaghetti. With red sauce, preferably ragu straight from the can. I don't need it heated up. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> As an adult, I realize I don't need the pasta fully cooked. I basically just need to suck ragu. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a time when you couldn't have ragu. I have been plagued by food allergies for, for most of my life. I was diagnosed in the fourth grade with an allergy to nightshades which includes tomatoes, potatoes, eggplant, paprika. Regular Doritos were out. <laughs> cool Ranch were in. Still are. <laughs> and how? Um, what did that mean for you and your favorite meal? Well, spaghetti was out the window, which was tragic. I, and um, I have a really creative mom, and she... She did a lot of research. This was really before the internet. I don't know where her research happened, <laughs> like hippie mom magazines or whatnot. But she ended up finding a um, recipe for for tomato sauce, quote, quote, tomato sauce um, made with carrots and beets. Mm. Mm. And how did that compare to ragu? I mean, it's not ragu. It's a lot of love. She would bring it in Ziploc bags to the Lindenville House of Pizza so that they would make me pizza that I could eat. That is a lot of love. It's a lot of love. <laughs> she would be blending this stuff. It was um, orange, you know, and, and surprisingly close, like, to tomato sauce, really, when you think about it. Mm -hmm. Like, even acidic. I don't know what, I don't know how it happened. The magic. Yeah. Way to go, Carla Boone. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the snack that you had in kindergarten. So you had to send your kids to kindergarten with a snack, and um, most kids would have like a bag of chips, a piece of fruit, maybe a yogurt, and my mom would send me with a lunchbox with like a piece of homemade apple pie, and then just like a hot dog in a bun. <laughs> I believe there was a call home about my snacks. But I was rocking it. What was your least favorite thing to eat? growing up. I've always hated a pickle. <laughs> always hated the pickle. All pickles. I hate pickles. I hate anything that's been pickled. And I, you know, I wish I didn't. And I have been convinced to try them sometimes as an adult. And my God, it tastes just like it smells. And I don't <laughs> want it. I don't want it. I really don't like pickles. I, you know, it's like the kind of thing where if they touch my hamburger, like it's infected. It's like the zombie apocalypse. And they are zombies in their own way. Please um, elaborate. Well, like, they're back from the grave. They're reconstituted. They're like sick cucumbers <laughs> that can't die. 
I've never thought of it that way, but I mean, it's really accurate. They even have a look, you know, they're kind of melted and floating and groggy. (laughs) Were there many meals at your house that were based around a pickle? No, I mean, we, we did a lot of gardening when I was growing up. We always had a big garden and, um, we would pickle a lot. We were famous for our pickles and I just wouldn't partake in the eating. Mm. Um, you know, I, I felt like my parents respected my likes and dislikes in terms of food. And I, I don't I don't remember myself being a particularly picky eater. I mean, the food allergies, it's, it's like it's out of your control to a certain extent. That's correct. But, you know, we're pro-dessert. <laughs> we're very we're pro, pro-dessert. We're pro-butter. We were pro-whole foods before it was popular. You know, mm-hmm. we make stuff. We eat it. Life is good. Um, until my brother and I were left to our own devices, probably sometime in middle school, we were allowed to stay home. And every day, Thomas and I would start the day by making breakfast, usually like scrambled eggs. And then whoever made breakfast was off the hook for lunch. We'd go outside, we'd play basketball, we'd go swimming in the river, and then we'd come inside and every single day, the person who did not make breakfast would make a box of Kraft macaroni and cheese and then split a can of (laughs) Coca-Cola. Oh my God, so good. So good. Every day. Every day. We also, <laughs> we, when we started walking home from school, um, we would we'd get home and we would, we'd learned how to make apple crisp topping. So we'd melt a whole stick of butter and blend in like brown sugar and oatmeal. And then we just split it into two bowls. You know, we're thin. We're thin. I don't know. I'm thin. Thomas is like a real person now, but but he wasn't at that time. At that time, he was so small. You know, we were like the kind of thin where loving teachers would take kind teachers would take us aside and ask what was going on in the home. So I was so confused. Like nothing. What is this? Butter. Butter. Pie. And later I realized it was because I was so skinny and bruised. Just fell. Did you grow up cooking with your mom in the kitchen? I did. My mom believes that uh, if you're old enough to stand on a chair, you're old enough to cut with a knife. <laughs> and when did you start standing on chairs? Early. Early. I've been helping. You know, I, I've uh, lost my confidence with cooking and baking over the years with various significant others and I don't know what happened, but I don't do much cooking these days. You do have an alter ego in the kitchen, which I'd like to Oh, yeah! My alter ego! Love it! Um, I'd like to uh, introduce me to your alter ego. I am the impatient chef. And what is the impatient chef all about? The impatient chef is all about eating right now. And you know, the best way that I've found to do that is to increase the temperature and increase the surface area. That decreases the cooking time. It's a it's an equation. Right. Really. I mean, you know, how fast can I thaw something? How fast can I heat it up? How cooked does it need to be to be safe? Mm-hmm. Is another question the impatient chef could ask. The impatient chef is known for cuisine that is both <laughs> Cold in the middle and shard on the exterior. It's it's a distinguishing characteristic of the cuisine. 
God. You know, Tom, my brother Tom and I had a cooking show when we were younger, too. Cooking show. We called it Recipes for Disaster. And we would be in the kitchen making our craft macaroni or, or whatever it was. <laughs> Today on Recipes for Disaster, microwaving flatware. <laughs> Today on Recipes for Disaster, we ask you to blow out your pilot light and turn on your stove. <laughs> Recipes for disaster. We catch boiling hot water. <laughs> Recipes for disaster. <laughs> that a song. What um, what is your favorite thing to make these days? Like when you are by yourself in the kitchen and you're not in a, a time crunch per se, where you need to eat right now, when the inpatient chef isn't necessarily at the helm of the ship. That's a, it's, that's a hard, I mean, you're asking me to think of a time when I have free time. I'd like to cook something and I'm not hungry. <laughs> I like, I can't. I'm, the, the, the Venn diagram of that is negligible or non-existent. I, you know, my... This is, is going to sound funny, but I think my signature dish is actually still Kraft macaroni and cheese. Like, macaroni and cheese out of a box, I have been told, I blow minds. I, as someone who has been making it all wrong for my entire life, I would agree. And my sister does as well. I'm, I'm really good at that. So are there any downsides to being the impatient chef? Um, I mean, even the impatient chef should cook some things. Oh, boy. Yeah, I've gotten sick a lot from food. Oh, yeah. That's the thing we didn't talk about. I'm a big fan of street foods. I'm a big fan of cultural meats. <laughs> <laughs> you've got um, to choose wisely, and you have to know that you're taking a risk. My brother Tom learned that in, in Philadelphia at a street vendor eating Jamaican goat curry and then getting stuck in traffic in 90 degree weather with no air conditioning on the Jersey Turnpike on the way home. <laughs> the car was overheating so we had the heat on and he had horrible goat diarrhea. <laughs> yeah, and I learned it in um, in Peru. I, I don't know what I ate, but I... I think it was a piece of street corn with a big slab of cheese. Because when I think of it, even now, I shudder. Your body remembers what it was. I gave you the worst food poisoning of your life. Mm -hmm. I was so sick. I was not... I was too sick to go on the whitewater rafting adventure that my friends and I had booked. and I, But they were staying at a different hostel. So I woke up in the morning and I had been sick all night. And I walked down and I said, guys, I just don't think I can do this. And they're like, well, let's go see if we can get our money back. And we, we got to the, the rafting place. And they're like, oh, no, 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 you know. And they're like, but we have a sauna. We have, you know, and I was drinking a Coke. And I was like, I'm feeling a little better. You know, I'll go. I'll ride the bus. I'll hang out in the sauna, you know. And so we're driving up the mountain. We're driving up the mountain. And it was Cusco. And it was flooding and raining. And most of the white water, white water rafting places were closed. 
because it wasn't safe. Like, I don't know why we thought, well, these guys must have a different river that is safe. Like, no, it's... We got to this place, and it was like a hut, and there was no sauna. There was no spa. It was just cold and wet. Cold and wet, and I'm, like, not pooping anymore, you know? And I'm like, well, might as well get in the damn raft, you know? So we suit up in these wetsuits. The water is, like chocolate milk and it's frothing and there it's huge and it's out of control and we get in the boat and we go over a rock and the first thing that happens is I fall out of the boat. <laughs> the first thing. They said, hold on to your paddle. My paddle is gone. I'm waving. Get me out of here. <laughs> get me. Back in the boat, no paddle. I'm holding on. I'm shivering, 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 shivering. We passed the sign at breakneck speed. I was just clinging to the edge. The sign says, Contaminado. And I'm thinking, I know what that is. This is a poop river. <laughs> this is a poop river. That night I got home and I was so sick. I was just sitting on the floor of the bathroom in the hostel like appreciating the cool tile, which is always a bad sign. When you got your face on the bathroom floor and it feels good, it's a bad <laughs> sign. The guy who was running the front desk came knocking, knock, knock, knock. Miss, 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 miss. He's like, listen, you're sick. I can call a doctor for 20 US dollars. He'll come, he'll do a house call. And I'm like, God, $20 is like a week here. But I'm thinking, you know, some, some higher, I'm like, it, it, okay, like I, I need help. And the doctor got there and he had a little bag, like I'd only seen in the movies, like a black bag, leather. Mm -hmm. And they took me into a private hostel room and I was like, oh, fancy. I haven't had a private room in months. <laughs> laid down on the bed and he's taking my pulse and he's taking my temperature. And he's like, you have to come with me. You have to come to the hospital. If you do not come to the hospital, I'm concerned you will not make it through the night. Like, I was so severely dehydrated. I hadn't been drinking water. It's just that nothing was staying down. And so I followed him out onto the cobblestone street in Cusco, and we got into his Mercedes, and I'm sitting next to him, and he's driving me, and my friends are at a different hostel, and I'm like, this is how you end up in the sex trade. This is how you end up in the sex trade, you know? And I like have my head against the window. I'm like, but it's so nice and cool. You know, like just so sick. I don't know, you just trust people sometimes. He took me to a private hospital and it was so much nicer than hospitals in the US. Like the sheets were soft and I had a down comforter and I had my own laptop with the internet and the food was so good. And I had the same nurses and they were nice and they spoke English, and um, I ended up having an amoeba parasite, salmonella, and E. coli at the same time. <laughs> I, uh, I feed antibiotics. I was so sick. <laughs> Called it the tri-infecta. <laughs> Poop river. <laughs> home. I came home early. I came home on Valentine's Day. My mom and my Grammy picked me up at the airport in New York on Valentine's Day and there's a picture and I look ill and Grammy looks concerned and my mom looks wonderful because she still had the tan from being in Ecuador. <laughs>
The moral of the story is don't eat unrefrigerated warm cheese out of a vat of water on the side of the road. That's a good lesson. Is that the moral of the story? I mean, the moral of the story is be selective about your street cuisine. Yeah. And know, just know that the piece of corn on which you dine could land you in the sex trade. <laughs> and we're out of time. Check us out online at signaturedishpodcast.blogspot.com.